Welcome to the New Masculine Podcast. This is a place where masculine identifying people come together in community to disrupt outdated models of masculinity and together construct new models for our way forward as men. As a special note, while this conversation is between men, this podcast values all beings and seeks to create positive impacts for all. I'm your host, Travis Stock. I am a master life coach, an equus coach, which means I often partner with horses when supporting clients, and I'm a teacher. In my coaching work, I am passionate about the balance of masculine and feminine energies in each of us, regardless of gender. I seek to help others nurture a relationship with both types of energy, which often leads to a greater sense of wholeness. And yet what I found in my work with men is that many of us have been taught messages about what it means to be a man by first teaching us to avoid anything that is associated with the feminine. That avoidance leads to few experiences of intimacy, emotions outside of anger, vulnerability, or even a sense of belonging. Striving to comply with these models of masculinity has many of us feeling isolated, ashamed, unworthy, afraid, angry, and depressed. That's why I started this podcast, to bring men together who are ready for something new, something more whole. A topic I find myself constantly considering is how to be soul-centered in the way that I run my business. In all honesty, I don't always find it easy to navigate the intersection between my soul-driven projects and the values of the capitalist society we live in. My hope is that my next guest can help me and others with that very tension point. David Peralta is the founder of The Soul-Centered Founder, a unique coaching program for entrepreneurs where he combines the wisdom of Zen Buddhism, Eastern spirituality, and Christianity with the world of business. With over 20 years of experience, David has successfully guided men to build six- and seven-figure businesses, all while helping them align their professional endeavors with their soul's highest purpose. David's own journey is a powerful one. Before his profound spiritual awakenings, he had a thriving career as a sought-after SEO and content marketing consultant. However, he found himself lacking the fulfillment he longed for, which also had a significant impact on his family life. Struggling to be the husband and father he aspired to be, David realized that he needed to make a profound shift. I'm going to let him share a little bit more about that in a bit. Personally, he identifies as a father, as a husband, and as a healer. So let's welcome David, his journey, and the lessons he's here to share into the new masculine. Welcome, David. Thank you so much for having me, Travis. Really appreciate it. Yeah, I'm so glad to have you. As I was sort of mentioning, this is an interesting point of reflection that I constantly have this whole soul-centered and business entrepreneurial kind of endeavor. And I don't always find myself being able to navigate that tension point very seamlessly. So Mm -hmm. I'm really hopeful that our conversation today will help me and others be able to navigate that a bit more. I hope so. Is there anything else that I didn't share about you that feels important to just kind of name right up front? Uh, No, I think we'll be able to dive into my story uh, as we we move along, but uh, I really appreciated that intro. So let's start with your own journey and your own stories as a man. So when you think about your journey from boyhood into manhood, what are some of the stories that come up for you or some of the like key learnings you've had when you think about what it is to be a man in our culture? So, you know, it's interesting, as you just said, from boyhood to manhood, um, it's really I'm uh, I'm a little over four years old now, and it's really only in the most recent years that I can say that I've started to feel like a man. Mm. And so, in other words, I felt like a boy for a really long time. Got it. Uh, and uh, and we'll get into that a little bit more uh, about why that is. 
but in terms of in terms of um that transition actually maybe we can talk about why i felt like that transition took such a long time before i finally landed in a space where i felt like a man and that does start in boyhood mm-hmm. right uh and and it starts with what are the things that got me stuck in boyhood you yeah. uh and um a lot of that had to do, I mean, I think that this is something that's very common in, in our age is just a lot of emotional trauma. It's mm. a lot of parents who were well-meaning, who were super loving, but were not aware of their own trauma. And in the cases of both of my parents, some pretty severe trauma mm. uh, that they had that they just never learned how to deal with. They never learned how to open up to it. Uh, they never learned that it was even really there. They had just found ways to move through it, ignore it, move past it. Um, and so that really shaped a lot of what I understood manhood to be because my father was somebody who, I mean, he's one of the most wonderful men I know in my entire life. I looked up to him, um, but there was not a lot of space for emotions. Mm-hmm. There was not a lot of discussion of emotions. There was not a lot of emotional awareness um, at least not while I was growing up. Uh, and so there also was not a lot of room for a- emotional awareness inside of his relationship with my mother. And so when things started to get rocky and difficult, they did not have the resources that they needed to learn how to work through it. Uh, and so that led them to divorce. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, that was something that impacted me way more than I realized at the time in large part, because the lack of awareness and access to my own emotions that already started to develop at a very young age, both my parents had no space for their emotions when they were children. So of course there was no space for any challenging emotions to arise, uh, in their children as we were growing up. And so, you know, like many people, I had to learn how to shut down. Right. Mm. Or that was my my particular strategy. Everybody has different strategies, but my strategy was to shut down. I was so sensitive to the stress of the house that uh, it overwhelmed me. And so I would act out and then I would act out. Uh, that would get basically a really strong negative reaction. And so over time, I learned my emotions are not OK. Mm. It's not OK for me to feel emotions. It's not OK for me to express emotions. Emotions lead to feeling hurt. And so I've got to suppress these emotions. I've got to tamp them down. I've got to cut myself off from them. Uh, And that in a nutshell is why it took me so long to eventually feel like a man because I had been carrying the emotions of boyhood for 35 plus years until those emotions um, were showing themselves so strongly in my relationship with my wife And with my children, that I had either basically two options. I could finally look at them. I could finally examine them. I could finally open up to them. Or I could let my marriage and family fall apart. And that was not an option for me. Um, We'll get more into the details of that, I think, a little bit later. But what were some significant milestones in my childhood were, um, and in this journey of manhood, um, I was somebody who... um, I was not at all spiritual growing up. My father was a scientist and uh, there was not a lot of room for anything that was not within the realm of science that wasn't measurable. And um, so I grew up an atheist. 
And uh, I was kind of proud of that fact because I did not see a lot of, um, let's put it another way. I saw a lot of hypocrisy uh-huh. in organized religion. And yeah, in the pretty people. easy to see yeah, exactly. <laughs> for many of us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, not a lot of practicing what they were preaching, uh-huh. uh, at least what I was exposed to. I've since seen a whole much more well-rounded picture. Um, but I was still somebody who I followed all the expectations. I wasn't even aware that these expectations were being placed on me, um, but I did what was expected of me. I went to school. I got good grades. I, I did well on the SAT. I got into a good university. Um, and so as I was checking all these boxes, I realized that around age 20, um, I was deeply depressed. I was very unhappy. And that doing everything that was expected of me wasn't leading to what I expected from the world. I expected if I do all these things uh, and I do well and I achieve, there should be some measure of happiness. There should be some measure of fulfillment, right? And there was next to none of that. Mm. And uh, the other thing was that this was all kind of going parallel to this feeling that I had deep inside of me that I was meant to live a life of greatness. I was meant to live a life of deep fulfillment. I was meant to live a life filled with love. I feel like a lot of people feel this way. uh, And then there's a lot of questioning about, well, why am I not feeling this way? And what is happening? And so when I was 20 years old, uh, I had um, a moment of clarity. I had an epiphany when I was driving through uh, the Green Mountains of Vermont on a solo road trip from New York to California. And uh, and I was kind of rushing to get back uh, to California because I was supposed to go back to school. And I was supposed to finish my degree and I was supposed to do all these things. But as I was on this road, I had this moment of clarity where I realized that actually I didn't have to do anything. Hmm. I had chosen to do these things, but I had chosen unconsciously. And I hadn't realized this, but now that I realized that I'd been making these decisions all along, but I'd been making them without actually considering whether this was right for me, I was completely free to choose whatever it was that I wanted. And in that moment, this weight lifted off of me. And I felt this sense of freedom. And that became the first moment in my life where I started to become aware of something inside of me that would guide me. Mm. And that had this this inner guidance. Um, Later on, I started to become aware that that is my soul. I didn't know it at the time, but that was my first exposure to it. And so I decided to explore what it would be like to follow a life led by intuition and feeling as opposed to expectations, especially external expectations. It's so profound to hear you sort of acknowledge like there is a path for you as a man that is guided by intuition and feeling. Some of the things that we are encouraged not to really connect with as men, that feelings are the things we're actually supposed to suppress and push away. I think it's interesting to hear some of your story and connect with, and I want to just check in. Many of the guys that I've talked to, they they internalize that they're not allowed to feel their emotions because they are boys or men, growing into men, and boys don't do that. Mm-hmm. Sounds to me, though, like a, 
even in your family, it wasn't about the gender of you. It just was like people are, we shouldn't feel our feelings. We shouldn't express our feelings as people. (laughs) So there's like a whole nother layer. It's not just like, that's for women and I can't do that. It's like, oh, we don't do that. And none of us do that. Got it. Nobody does that. Nobody in my, my, not my parents, not my, not my extended family. Uh, Feelings are are not a welcome uh, part of life. Yeah, it's really interesting how it sounds like your childhood, there were some pretty clear ideas of what you should be, but not a lot of space for you to find your own way, to find your own emotional experience, to find your own beliefs around spirituality. It was pretty pre-prescribed for you about what was appropriate and what was not appropriate. You know, that's... um as you say that i realize that it's 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 not it, it wasn't entirely like that mm. because um what i remember is that my father gave me a lot of space interesting yeah he gave me a lot of space so it wasn't that he and my mother were prescribing what i should be doing right um there definitely wasn't any understanding of how to help me tap into an inner sense of guidance uh, and to tap into my own feelings. That was Mm -hmm. something that uh, nobody had done in my family. And so nobody knew how to guide anybody else towards that. But once my parents split, my dad saw that um, I was able to figure things out. uh, And I was able to kind of make my way. Like, in other words, what he said is he saw me, Uh, And I didn't know this at the time, but he saw me um, experimenting with uh, psychedelics, right? Mm. By the way, I had a complete reverse uh, introduction to drugs. Most people start with alcohol and then gradually work their way to marijuana or, you know, whatever. I started at 14 with psychedelics. I started at 14. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah, most people go through a gateway drug to get there and you're like, no, I'm just going for psychedelics. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, interestingly enough, it was because I did a uh, a freshman year project. Uh, we all were supposed to pick an illicit substance. Oh, wow. The more research I did into LSD, the more I was like, whoa, this is not what I was being told mm-hmm. in uh, in elementary school. Like there is really something here. And it was a yeah. life changing experience for sure. uh, when I first did that. But the point is like my dad saw all these books that I had on LSD and he put two and two together. And so mm-hmm. he knew what I was doing. And he knew eventually when I started experimenting with alcohol and with marijuana and all these things. But what he told me was that, but he also saw that I was still getting really good grades. He saw that I was still hanging out with really good people. And so he saw that my life was not falling apart. It was actually going really well. And so he actually gave me a massive amount of freedom. Interesting. But I didn't know it at the time. I thought uh-huh. I was keeping all of this stuff secret from him. But in in other words, he allowed me to find my own way. Wow. And he actually had a lot of faith that I was going to find my own way. And so even though a part of finding my own way was still dealing with a lot of societal expectations, mm-hmm. um, even within this within this dynamic where there's not a lot of room for really tapping into feelings, there was still a lot of freedom for discovering mm-hmm. what path I'm going to take. That's really interesting to hear how in some areas there wasn't much space for certain things. And then in other ways, there was an, a, an, a, a, a in many families, uh, like a quite an extreme level of space for you to experiment and to try. So if these pre-prescribed sort of lanes for success didn't come necessarily from your parents, where do you think you really internalized this? Like, 
get good grades, be successful, get into a good college, get this job? Like, where did you internalize that version of success that was pretty rigid for yourself? So I grew up in a very affluent neighborhood. I was not uh-huh. affluent myself. Uh, my parents were not affluent, but my dad worked at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory for NASA, and that was based in an area where there was a lot of affluence. And so the high school that I went to, there was just this unspoken expectation that that's what everybody was going to do, mm-hmm. right? And there was this unspoken expectation that uh, in order for you to become affluent and to live the American dream and to live the life that, you know, uh, that would take you towards that affluence, these are the things that are expected of you. You've got to do well in school. You've got to get a good job, right? And then and then that's basically like as far as it goes, right? Like mm-hmm. you, get, you get a relationship and then, and then that's it. And then somehow success is supposed to follow. Happiness is supposed to follow. There's no discussion about how do you find happiness and what actually is happiness and what actually is a, a good measure of success. All these expectations were coming kind of from the culture uh, and the environment around me. And I just internalized them without even a second thought. Now you're pointing to like that tension point I was talking about where our culture really puts the goal of affluence, the goal of financial success as the pinnacle. And we're all on tracks trying to get to that. And yet at the sacrifice of what? Our happiness, our soul sometimes. It doesn't mean that they can't go hand in hand together, but... I don't see that many models out there for us, for any of us to really look to Mm. where people are staying soul centered and being successful. It's, it seems as though the more successful people get, the further from their soul they get (laughs) or something like that. Yeah. So that's, um, that's a really good point because a lot of it is also, it's, it's not, um, what is your unique path? Yeah. Right. What is what is inside of you? What is what is your inspiration? Right. Mm -hmm. Inspiration literally means to be full of spirit. Right. When something is inspiring us, we are in a spiritual state. We are in communion with the divine energy. It is flowing and expressing itself through us. And when we learn to tap into that, that energy is going to guide us in a very unique way. It is not going to meet either the expectations or the path that is set out for anybody else. No two paths are ever going to look the same. Uh, And yet we are expected to all follow more or less the same path. Mm -hmm. Uh, And there's very few people who have had that. Actually, I shouldn't say that because a lot of people are now having and have had these experiences. But in terms of positions of authority, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, teachers, guidance counselors, parents, there's very few people who went through these experiences themselves who can then pass it on mm-hmm. and talk about that to other people. Uh, and so we're all left to kind of follow this pre-prescribed path and then eventually at some point realize that this is not working for us. Yeah, for sure. So you had your first taste of a soul, uh, like the connection to your soul in the green mountains of Vermont. There's some magic there in the in, in the mount in the mountains of Vermont for sure. My partner's from there, and I've spent time yeah. there, and there's definitely some magic there. Um, then more life happens, and in so let's zoom ahead until like that 35 years old time frame where you started to hit a point of your in your family and your parenting and in your relationship with your wife. What was that part of your journey like? And how did you open up further into being more soul driven in your life? So a little bit of in between, Mm. um, uh, some necessary backstory. 
Um, so it was after that experience in the Green Mountains when I started to follow that intuition. That is what led me to a Zen Buddhist monastery because that is what led me to a different way of living, right? That was based more on the presence and being open to whatever experiences I was having. And that was a life that that I felt like this is worth living. This is worth pursuing. Mm. Uh, so that put me on a spiritual path. Um, that as well as some other experiences that I had uh, one day when I was 21 years old, where um, I was at a psychotherapy workshop and uh, and this energy started to flow through me after I did a certain amount of exercises and was witnessing other people go through their process. Uh, suddenly this energy just starts flowing through me and out of my hands. Uh, and that's when I feel like, oh, this is healing energy. And I didn't know how I knew that. And I didn't know where it was coming from. And I had no context for it, but there was just this deep inner knowing that this energy that's flowing through me is healing and it's being sent towards the other participants who are going through their kind of climax moment. And so this awakened this other part of me, which is like, okay, well, what is that? And who can help me with this? And I'm having all these spiritual experiences, right? That I also had at the Zen Buddhist monastery that nobody could explain to me, not even the teachers there could tell me what exactly was going on inside of me. And so I wanted to find somebody who had these answers. Uh, and over the course of, of a search and a journey, eventually I discovered a teacher in India who I came to recognize as having those answers and not like an external source of, ans source of answers. I found somebody, his name was Sri Kaleshwar, uh, and he already passed back in 2012. But here was somebody who was connected to the source of this energy, to the source of this presence that I had been experiencing myself. He, I could see, was there was no distinction. There was no separation between him and that source. And that was a person that I wanted to learn from. That was a person mm. that I wanted to just experience. What is that way of life like? And he, uh, his, he explicitly said his his goal was to help create spiritual healers and spiritual masters. In other words, to help other people learn how to connect directly to that source itself. So I spend two years in India. Over the course of three or four years, I end up living there for two years. And again, I'm having profound experiences of oneness, experiences of like a veil lifting and having direct experiences of the underlying energy uh, of reality um, and, uh, and all kinds of teachings also about the unity of all things, about the mechanisms of creation, about how energy goes from formlessness into form uh, and how we can work with that energy and use it for healing and all kinds of things. So I have all these experiences. I'm gaining all this knowledge. And then while I'm there, I meet my wife. She's also there at this center and uh, she's from Austria. And we very quickly realize that uh, that we are each uh, the one that we are willing to commit to for the rest of our life, that mm. we're each the one that we want to reach the highest level of love possible between two human beings. Uh, and so we get married. And, uh, and then very shortly after that, we have a baby coming on the way. So we leave the ashram and we start to live back in the West. We're in Vienna, Austria. And now this is what leads to that point, right? When I'm, uh, you know, 35 or so, where um, this is where the challenges started. Yeah. Yeah. 
you know, we had learned all these things. We had had all these amazing experiences. We had been living in this incredible paradise at this ashram in India. Uh, but now that we're two people in the West and I'm trying to earn a livelihood, now everything, right, that had been trapped since boyhood now has a direct mirror. And then the same thing for her. And without having had the awareness of all these things, they all start coming up. Mm -hmm. We start to struggle and we start to fight and we cannot find a way through it. And we're completely stuck in these loops and these patterns. And it, no matter what we try, it just we just feel constantly stuck until it reaches that climax point where it's clear, like things cannot continue this way. There is such a level of dysfunction and disharmony. And that's clearly not the essence of both who we are, who we've discovered ourselves to be, and that love that we felt in our relationship. Um, and uh, and so that's when it became clear. This is, this is not about trying to implement spiritual concepts. This is not about trying to live spiritually. This is about all these experiences that we had as human beings, mm-hmm. especially as sensitive human beings, right? Uh, as as infants and children, right? Now all these experiences have to be integrated. Uh, the hope was a little bit that spirituality would just kind of take care of these things. <laughs> if we just lean further into that, maybe it'll just gloss over all the rest of it yeah, exactly that was that was kind of the the hope like you know we yeah. charge our soul enough we awaken our soul enough and all these things just magically dissolve um but actually it's in yeah, our we're in this human experience for a reason that's exactly we're not just right. spirit that that is exactly right and that yeah. that the way through it yeah. is to open up to all of it mm-hmm. to experience all of it and to open our heart to even the most difficult and the most painful, to open our soul to the entire spectrum of human experience without having to shut down, without Mm -hmm. having to escape, without having to move into a fight or flight or freeze or whatever responses we've created for ourselves. And so that became the journey. That became Mm -hmm. the process. And for me, it involved a whole bunch of modalities, somatic experiencing therapy, internal family Mm -hmm. systems. And I just committed so wholeheartedly to it and then eventually got to a point where enough had integrated that we were able to not only discover a harmony that had always been there, that had just been covered, um, but now an integration of all this spiritual energy and all these spiritual experiences now were no longer reserved for meditation, right? Mm -hmm. They were no longer reserved for the sitting cushion or being out in nature. Now they were being lived. Now we were in the process of embodying them. It's really powerful to hear. It's quite a journey you've been on. And just some like reflecting on like key moments of like sort of the proud atheist that is separate from that has no real belief system, faith, those kinds of things, then moving into like a soul driven life and starting to connect to your soul and letting that guide you. Then the oneness you were experiencing, the unity you were experiencing in the ashram, and then the, a relationship causes the separateness again. Interestingly, like how coming together as a couple, at least once you get past the first phase of things, can often feel like a separating, can help, can mirror back to us, can awaken things that were shut down in us, that can bring up our old attachment patterns and traumas and all the things that come up. 
And I think so many of us get afraid of that in relationships, that we're afraid when we get mirrored back and it's just easier to split and run. And yet, and, and sometimes that's important and necessary, the sort of separation of a relationship. But but relationships are really here to teach us about the human experience and to rub up against something and define where two completely different truths can coexist at once. Mm-hmm. And like they're here for that person, per, that per, they create tension sometimes as a way of creating expansion and growth and not just living in these sort of spiritual concepts. We actually have to live it to be successful in our relationships. That's exactly right. And one thing that uh, that this teacher in India, Sri Kaleshwar, mm-hmm. often told us, he said, friction is necessary for enlightenment. Mm-hmm. It is not just sitting under a tree. It is rubbing up against those things that show us what are those blocks, what are the shadows, what are the beliefs that have covered that light inside of us, and that can only be shown to us in relationship to mm-hmm. others and in relationship to the world, not by escaping it. Yeah, friction really is. I think there's this interesting place that I play with sometimes with my in my own personal work, but then also my work with clients is like, what's the healthy and, and, and appropriate amount of tension that's necessary for some growth and expansion to happen without getting because I also see in some of the personal development self help world kind of like, endure, endure the tension. And like, it's almost like a badge of honor how much you can how much tension and crap you can put up with that kind of thing to get there. And I'm not sure that we need to glorify pain in order to get to someplace, but tension, heat, friction, those are all really important elements of our growth as people. And they're the things that push us outside of our comfort zone. Um, so many people that I witness, like we get into a comfort zone. We've okay, I got, I got control over my life. I can manage all the things that are going on. I know how to be successful in this little zone of my life. And yet eventually that zone feels really limiting and trapping us. It's not big enough. We can't survive a whole life just on that little space of safety we've created. And so we have to leave the comfort zone to grow. And tension's usually what pushes us all there. <laughs> Struggles, challenges, illness. It's the things that really cause us to go, okay, I get it. I can't stay here. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly mm-hmm. right. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so you around you're saying around 35, you were noticing how much of your boy emotions were still present. What do you think were the sort of most important learnings or growth points in terms of you learning how to process those boy emotions and learn how to be in at be in this new space you find yourself in the last few years of truly being a man well what really what really kick-started that process was that over the years previous uh in the early years of my daughter's life and the years of our marriage um especially once our daughter was born was this anger started to come out of me And I had never considered myself an angry person. I had never seen the side of myself. In fact, I was kind of known for being the opposite. I was very calm, including under stress and under pressure, cold often. And Mm. from my emotions, I was often described as having a robotic voice, Mm. um, and uh, but never angry, right? I never lost my. I cannot. I cannot remember a single time before my marriage when I ever lost my temper with somebody. That makes sense. You learned how to control your emotions and 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 deaden them really early on. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say it, it wasn't even control my emotions. It was completely cut off. Uh-huh. So I wasn't even aware that they were down there. But now uh-huh. that my daughter was born, 
she was so similar to me mm-hmm. that when she would start to have outbursts, when she would start to show her discomfort, it was so triggering to that part of me that felt scared of those big emotions. And those big emotions that I had felt coming from other people caused this anger to come out. Mm. And I started to see it and it was scary. It was scary to me. It was scary to my daughter and it was scary to my wife. Uh, and, And there were times where I couldn't control it. And it reached this climax point where it was almost on a daily basis around the time my daughter was five, six years old, where we were almost on a just daily fighting. Uh, And it didn't matter how, that was the other thing is she was so strong-willed. Like I thank God for that because she never allowed my anger and she never allowed my uh, unconscious attempts to control her emotions. She never allowed that to break her spirit. Mm. Uh, and that doesn't mean that it wasn't painful for her. It was incredibly for painful sure. for her while it was happening. But um, I've heard stories of other people, their response was uh, completely kowtowing, completely giving in to the will of the other person. And just like, this is too painful. I'll just do whatever you say. And my daughter was not like that, mm-hmm. but it created so much conflict and it created so much tension in our family. Um that when it reached this climax point of like it just like it it just exploded in all kinds of figurative and literal ways in our life um that was when it was like okay we started to think that the issue was our daughter right mm. like that's where we started that we're struggling with her so let's get parenting coaching right let's figure out how to handle her but then as that was happening the tensions between my wife and I never went away And then when that reached a heated moment, then it was like, well, let's get couples coaching. And the couples coaching would, uh, the couples counseling, the couples counseling would just devolve uh, into into bickering and fighting. And that wasn't working either until, I can't remember exactly when the moment was, but there was this clarity of, we're not having problems with each other. We're not having problems with our daughter we're having problems with ourselves. We're having problems with these emotions that nobody ever helped us with. And once I started to realize that, that's when I started to open up to the anger. And I actually started not in therapy. Um, I started by, um, I had the insight that if I just learn how to feel that emotion and I find a constructive way to take it out, something positive is gonna happen. And so I bought a kendo sword and I bought a punching bag. And then I allowed myself to go into this emotion. And then I just started pounding that bag. Uh, I actually bought a, a, a virtual reality headset that had this exercise game. I think it was called Supernatural. But the point is it puts two virtual reality clubs in your hands and it sends all kinds of targets flying at you playing all kinds of really intense music. And that became another vehicle for me where I knew if I can hit virtual targets and channel all of this anger, then something else is going to happen. And that's exactly what started to happen. As soon as I started, I started unleashing my anger towards things that couldn't get hurt. By the end of the initial sessions, I was sobbing. Mm. And that's when I started to feel the underlying emotion underneath the anger. That's when I started to feel the hurt. And that's when I discovered there's a whole world of pain down there 
And that is too painful for me to go to by myself. And that's when I found a therapist who was able to step-by-step help me learn how to open up to and just be present to this pain. And this is where all the spiritual work that I'd done came into play because now on a soul level and on a presencing level, I had all this ability to be present with the emotions and to be present with the feelings of overwhelm and to be present with the feelings of pain and just be present with all these things. And that's what allowed them to be integrated and to pass through. And so those were really the the, the critical moments, the, the critical milestones that helped me through that. I'm so glad you shared that. And thank you for being vulnerable enough to not just stop at the place of anger expression, but to 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 really share the hurt that was underneath there. And even as you were talking about, like your daughter's um, big emotional outbursts and how that scared you and like you didn't feel safe within that. Like, I think so many men only know anger as an emotional expression and yet don't know what's underneath that. Don't know what what that's trying to protect. That's right. Vulnerable, scared, hurt part of ourselves. And I don't know that many of us are given permission to really value and validate that part of ourselves. And so we get into these loops of anger expression that don't they're not the version of anger expression that you started exploring by the punch with the punching bag or your virtual reality game that were about releasing emotion in healthy ways and allowing that to flow. They're really just the other versions that were happening within your family were like, how do I control this? And how do I control this? How do I control this? How do I like, they're different. There's like the kind that's about reinforcing control and one that's about letting go of control and finding ways to flow that energy so that you can really connect to what's underneath there. That's exactly right. I had to learn how to let go of trying to control that anger uh-huh. and trying to suppress that anger and surrender uh-huh. and feel completely the anger. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned the psychedelic process. It kind of reminds me of that too. Like there's a lot of drug use out there that's about avoiding, that's about disconnecting and, and leaving the yes. pain and and not and numbing out to it. And then there are versions of substance use that are about going inward, finding it, like connecting more deeply to it and learning how to process it. And so there are different, like two, the same thing can be handled in very different ways and can be either reinforcing what's already there, the habits and the ways of, of suppressing and the ways of disconnecting and the way of controlling, or it can be done in really healthy ways. And I love that you even shared, like, once you saw how much pain was there, you knew you couldn't do it alone. And I think so much of our quote unquote manhood or what is masculine in our culture is to bear it alone. Right. And so it feels like a betrayal of our manhood to recognize that we need help, that we need somebody else to sit with that hurt part of ourselves. And yet, I don't know any other way through it. Like so much of our trauma and stuff is relational. It happened with other people and therefore it can't be healed just alone. It has to be healed in relationships with others, uh, intertwining our nervous systems with others, being in the electromagnetic field of each other's hearts and feeling safe with people or watching what comes up when we don't feel safe with other people. Mm-hmm. And so I'm so glad you said that because, I mean, I'm biased because of, I'm a coach and I support people with this kind of stuff. But I, it's the only thing that I found in my own journey is to like really find those places that need some support from somebody else that I can't do alone yes. and walk that journey with someone else. That's exactly right. That's yeah. exactly right. Um, you know, one other thing that what you were saying was um, 
causing me to reflect on was, you know, another reason why there was so much conflict throughout uh, my relationships, especially with my wife and daughter, was because the reason why I felt so overwhelmed by their emotions was because I was so overwhelmed by my emotions. Mm -hmm. And so there was so much already going on in my own inner emotional world that I wasn't aware of that there was no space. There was no space whatsoever for anybody else's emotions that weren't like positive and uplifting because the moment they felt challenging, it was immediately overwhelming to me and way too much. And I actually found this also in my professional life as well. Mm where I constantly, the stress of the work that I was doing, and most of it was self-imposed stress because most of it was coming from this, this constant feeling of not being good enough, mm-hmm. this constant feeling of not having what it takes, which also had its root in my childhood of feeling mm-hmm. like no matter how I am, no matter how I present myself, no matter how I express, no matter how much I try to fit myself into you know whatever box, uh, my parents are un unconsciously expecting me to fit into so that they can feel comfortable with my emotions. None of it is enough. No matter Mm -hmm. what I do, their love isn't flowing. Instead, the opposite, usually this rejection is flowing. And so this was constantly presenting itself in my work. I'm constantly feeling not good enough. I'm constantly feeling like a failure. I'm constantly feeling like I don't have what it takes, even though the external, um, Everything is showing me the everything is is the opposite. My work is going really well. I'm I'm showing results to people, right? My clients are really satisfied with the work that I'm doing. Um, but to me internally, it never felt like enough. Mm-hmm. It never felt like I was good enough. And there was never the space for any of this challenging feelings to just process inside of me until I started to feel these underlying emotions. And then once I started to feel these underlying emotions, then I remember really being shocked at suddenly how much inner space there was, Mm. how much had always felt full and I'd always felt so full of pressure and I couldn't describe where that pressure was coming from. It wasn't even a physical pressure, but it just felt like I was constantly over full and no space for anything else. And now suddenly there was stillness Mm. and spaciousness not only for my feelings, but for the feelings of others. Mm -hmm. So now suddenly I could be present with my daughter's feelings. I could be present with my wife's ups and downs. I could just be present with them and with myself and not feel overwhelmed by all the emotions that I've been feeling. That's so powerful. And I, you know, I resonate with parts of that journey. I can really feel that moments of my life. And it's not always, but there are definite moments where there isn't a lot of space inside. And so everything else, everything out there is overwhelming. Exactly. And I I can, I can really tap into that feeling. And I bet a lot of other men can too, where we're carrying a lot of weight on our shoulders. We're constantly trying to prove ourselves. We're constantly trying to be the provider. We're trying like, there's this hustle that we've all learned to do to where our the value and our worth as beings is externalized. Exactly. And so we're all hustling for that. And so all of that noise is going on inside and there's just really no more space for anything else. And so it can be really overwhelming at times. So thank you for sharing that. And thank you for sharing what's on the other side. Because I think that some people get lost and okay, so I feel my feelings. So what? So yeah. what? Like, what's yeah. the point on the other side of it? And hearing you sort of talk about the 
space you started to notice the ability to the, the, the container you had of you was bigger there was more space for lot your daughter's experiences her emotions other people's exp- emotions i'm sure your clients emotions as they like your clients experiences as you were working with them that that became the core of of yeah. being able to work with other people is once there's space inside of myself now there's space to be able to empathize and feel what other people are feeling right mm. and to see what they're going through and to have a deep understanding a deep empathy right and then to be able to tap into that intuition into into my own soul is what's the right thing to do here how to help other people right and then that's how this whole program and framework uh the way that i work with uh, entrepreneurs and and a lot of other different people too not just entrepreneurs but that's how all of this was born was yeah. once that there is space there's also um there's silence and from silence inspiration can arise clarity mm-hmm. can arise yeah so tell me more about this work that you're doing with people now in this format of your day like what what does that work look like what are your what's your perspective on entrepreneurship and and success now from this place yeah um so a lot of it has to do with um learning how to be in relationship with the divine Mm -hmm. through everything, through every aspect of our life. Um, There is an energy that creates everything, right? In the Eastern tradition where I studied in India, um, this is called the Shiva and Shakti, the divine masculine and the divine feminine. The divine masculine is this stillness. It's this silence. It is the formlessness. It's the pure potential, right? That even science is discovering. It's the it's this uh, pure energy that has not yet taken on a vibration, that has not yet taken on a form. Uh, so that's the masculine quality. And then the feminine quality is the part that is the creative aspect is what takes that formlessness and gives it vibration. It gives it expression. It gives it form. And so it is the life force that is animating everything that exists within the creation. It is what is actively creating everything that we see. And it's doing so in relationship to that pure potential, Hmm. to pure consciousness. And so these things are not abstract concepts at least not in my experience, these energies are very real. And the way that we experience them is through life. It's Mm. not through necessarily needing to escape. And it's not through studying abstractions. Um, It is through discovering that energy inside of everything. So the way that I work with people, to discover that energy and to live in relationship with that energy and to find ways for that energy to express itself through them. Ultimately, that's the goal is for us to become vessels for that energy to express itself through us. If we live in the state of oneness, if we are one with everything, then it's only our egos, right? That believe that they are separate and our minds that perceive everything as separate that are standing in the way of experiencing that oneness. 
I want to pull you out on something because I find myself thinking about it in my head as you're talking about it is I'm sure you have some clients that are have had at least touchstones and experiences of, of what you're talking about of this not being abstract and this not just being con- conceptual and abstract, but it yeah. actually is like real. Yes. And then I bet there's some clients that are like, what is he talking about? Like, yeah. what? Like, and they're like, skeptical. They're probably, yeah. A lot of people who are listening to this who are like, what yeah, are about? we yeah. live in a society that has a lot of momentum around physical, tangible reality and not this energetic and this um, connection to oneness. Like, especially in Western cultures, there is a lot of separateness. There is a lot of individuation that's happened in our cultures. And so how do you help people? How do you, what are the like, how do you step people into this space so that they don't immediately buy into their original culture and reject what you're talking about? Sure. So actually I, I, I usually don't bring that up right away. Um, Yeah. (laughs) It's it's a little like, Whoa, that's a big step for people. Yeah, exactly. It's just, Uh it's usually just usually, you know, like in a conversation, like it's, I'm usually in conversations on podcasts and things with people who are open to that, that concepts. Um, but so for people who are like, either they have no spiritual experience whatsoever, um, I just take them through the framework that I mm-hmm. take everybody through, regardless of where you are on your spiritual journey. Uh, and that framework starts with uh, the need to create the highest vision for your life. So this is not like your perfect day or something. This is really what is the highest aim that you could imagine for your entire life. And the way that I take people through that is through something I call a deathbed meditation, where I have them imagine themselves on their deathbed in the moments before transitioning. And in that moment, I encourage them to imagine themselves having achieved everything that they could have imagined, everything that they were here to do, they accomplished. And they reached the highest version of in every aspect of their life possible. So in their relationships, in their career, in their spiritual development, in their personal development, Um, I help them go into a very relaxed state so that they can feel into themselves. What is that? And again, it's not a mental exercise. It's actually uh, helping them to move out of their mind as much as possible and into a feeling space where they can see what is that? What do I feel I want my life to become? And not five, 10 years from now, but the top of the mountain. Right. And so once they start to feel that, almost to almost without exception, everybody starts to experience it as energy. Hmm. And even the most skeptical people uh, have described to me seeing a source of light, a hmm. ball of light, or a ball of energy. Right. And that this energy basically is what's flowing through them. In other words, when I ask them to envision the highest relationship, like with their with their spouse, their significant other, or with their children, very often it expresses itself as light. Hmm. They feel this love. They feel this light. And they feel that as a oneness. They don't always use those words, right? But inevitably, there's an element of that. And then the same thing when I encourage them to think about like the impact that they've had professionally. I don't ask them to imagine like, you know, that they hit their product or service was in the hands of a million people. I say like, if that's really your goal, what does that actually look like? Mm -hmm. How did what you do actually uplift the lives of other people? Right. And what was the difference that this made? And very often they see 
this light. They see this uplifting of the light inside of other people. They see this light coming out of people and forming this web and forming this network. And then they can start to feel the energy of the impact that they're having. And it's no longer something vague and abstract. It's now something very real and felt. And so I take them through this whole exercise. Uh, sometimes it takes a couple of sessions, but what comes out of that is there is now a direct felt sense of what they want their life to be about. There is now a clear destination on the map, whereas before there had been kind of like a vague sense that they wanted their life to be about something or they wanted their job or their career to be about something. But now there is now there is uh, focus. Mm. And now there is direction. So instead of scattered energy moving in a million different directions, now there is a clarity of purpose. Mm. And that's part of the next step is helping people to see that their purpose is basically to become, um, to grow that love, to live in that love. Yeah. And that how they express that, right, in their relationships or in their professional life is going to look different for everybody, right? Everybody's going to do that a different way. A coach is going to do that a different way than a CEO is going to do that than somebody who, you know, is perhaps a teacher or whatever. But but the, the purpose of our existence is to expand that love, hmm. is to allow that love and to allow that energy to flow through us. And then we start to develop through that a clear sense and a clear intuition of what's going to take us in that direction. Mm -hmm. So where, when I start working with people, one of the biggest problems that I see is that people are very scattered. Um, there's a million different things that they could be doing uh, and that they are doing, right? Especially for entrepreneurs, it's there's this email strategy, there's this marketing funnels, there's this new market, you know, there's this new tech guru, there's like all kinds of things that they could be doing. None of them are working. And so they're constantly jumping from one strategy to the next. I see that so commonly in the coaching world, like, and I teach other coaches and there's like, okay, what's the next thing that's going to, and they're like hunting for something external to them that's going to really help them be successful. And then they spend all this money and invest on all of this, and then it doesn't work out. <laughs> and what worked for somebody else isn't necessarily going right. to work for you. So even right. if someone's selling a surefire formula that got them to, you know, you know, a hundred thousand dollars in three months, that doesn't mean that that doing that exact same thing is going to work for us. Mm -hmm. And so the key is once we start to develop this clarity and this vision, and once we start to develop it as a felt sense inside of us, very often people immediately start to feel, I know exactly what I need to be doing. I know exactly mm -hmm. what I need to be focusing on. Uh, and if not, then they can look at what are all the different options that are in front of them. And they can start to imagine themselves going through the process of every single one of those things. And one, two, three, maybe four, five of those things are going to generate that same felt sense, mm -hmm. going to generate that same inspiration. And that is an inner guidance telling us that those are the things that are going to take us in the direction of the vision that we developed. And those are the things that we need to focus on. Once people start to focus on that, now what they're doing is they're living in alignment. Yeah, that's the word that came through in my head. It was like uh, taking aligned action versus taking action that's about uh, running towards some, running away from something or towards something. It's like disaligned or fragmented decision making versus aligned decision making. That's exactly right because now it is aligned 
with the essence of who we are. Yeah. Right. Now we've aligned the essence of who we are with what 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 our um what that aim is, right? What we truly want from this life. Yeah. And now once we start to do that, and once we start to take aligned action, this is when we start to feel inspired. This is when we start to feel enthusiasm, another word that means to be filled with God. So now we are becoming more and more open channels for that energy, that creative spiritual energy to express itself through us. Mm. Now that energy is coming out into the world. And a key part of this is that we're here to be of service to others. Mm -hmm. We're here to uplift others. We're not here to profit at at the expense of others. And when we see ourselves as channeling that energy and bringing that energy into the world to help others in whatever way is unique to us, in whatever way inspires us, now we are magnifying energy. Energy comes through us. We uplift other people. More energy comes through them and it comes back to us. And that exchange of energy is what manifests itself as abundance. Mm -hmm. That's what manifests itself as fulfillment, because when we have that connection with people and we feel that depth of rewarding uh, interaction where we have genuinely transformed the life of somebody and not just of our clients, but of our employees, right, or our colleagues or our friends or our family, that's when we are in relationship to the fundamental energy of life itself. Mm-hmm. A beautiful exercise that you bring people to to sort of help them envision their life and its highest purpose. And I really get a sense of that, like how important it is to have a touchstone into that, like to touch into that feeling state so that once you have felt that you can't unfeel it. That's exactly right. What do you do in the moments that we all live in a capitalist society that that does teach a lot about profiting um, and what do you how do you help people in that space that in those early stages when they're starting to build momentum towards that highest purpose of themselves when the momentum of the broader culture or the messaging or the energy of capitalism and profiting and all that stuff when that starts to create doubt for them oh yeah so there's there's um th- so this is a huge this is a yeah. huge thing that people struggle. Oh, that's, well, I, I can see it happen in myself every once in a while. Like, whereas I mean, like, it just like takes over and I'm like, well, how did I get here? Like, that's exactly. not what I believe in. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> or, or you're, you're putting effort, 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 and it doesn't seem like anything is happening. for yeah. 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 So there's, there's two kind of prongs to that approach. Um, and the first one has to do with, um, look, we do live in a material society. We do live in a material world. We need food. We need housing, right? We need school for our kids, right? We, if we want to buy a house, right? We need the means to to do that with. So we do need a level of prosperity and a level of abundance, right? To be able to basically interact with this world and, you know, not only meet our needs, but have a level of life that we feel like is again, aligned with what we feel like we want. It doesn't have to be crazy, Right. Uh, but what is it that we really want? And so the first thing that I encourage people to do is um, go ahead and come up with an income goal that is aligned with what you want your life to be, right? So if it's going to involve these house payments and this school and whatever it is, 
Just what is that? Okay. And let's say for somebody it's $15,000 a month or $10,000 a month or even $6,000 a month to start with. I always discourage people from leaving it at that and having an income goal and trying to quote unquote manifest an income goal. That income is tied to an energy and a service that you're going to provide for others. And so if somebody is trying to shoot for like a $10,000 a month goal, then I ask them based on what it is that you do, right? How many people would you need to help to be developing that level? And if they say, well, I would be needing to work with 10, 15, 20 clients, whatever it is, then that's when I, that's when I encourage them. Okay. Imagine yourself working with those 15 people, imagine the energy flowing to them. And then imagine that energy transforming their life and imagine them transforming as a result of the work that you're doing imagine them being uplifted and imagine that energy transforming their life and having a ripple effect right on the lives of their loved ones right and now start to tap into that on an energetic level and what does that feel like and inevitably mm -hmm. it puts people in a very positive a very powerful a very empowered state where they feel it happening and they see the difference that it's making. And now it is not abstract $10,000 a month. It is this level of energy entering into the world. And now it is very, very real. Now there's a confidence that they can do it. Now there's a felt sense that they can do it. And more importantly, they've actually tapped into the energy of what it is that they're going to be creating. Mm -hmm. So this vision that they develop, right? The energy that they put into the world now is going to become the energy that creates that vision, right? As opposed to just abstractly trying to create some abstract, vague concept of $10,000 a month. Now the energy that they put into the world is moving towards a very clear vision of helping 10, 15, 20 people in a very powerful and specific way. And once they develop that vision, the more often they feel into that, right? Especially in those moments of doubt, mm -hmm. right? So when I'm in a moment of doubt, when I can remember it, I remember what it feels like to be helping people on the level that I envision myself helping them. And then suddenly I start to feel charged. I feel full of energy, right? And then I'm able to move forward with that in mind with with from that state right i can start doing outreach from that state i can start you know talking to people from that state instead of from that state of doubt i'm so glad you sort of acknowledged those moments of your own doubt i think that i've yeah. noticed my whole nervous system settle as you were saying like when i'm in one of those moments of doubt because i think we can often project onto people that have found this space that you're talking about that are that believe in it that live it that they never have doubt. They oh. never struggle with it. And so I'm just like, it just like my system re was relaxed to know that, oh, okay, great. Even once you really get this and have practiced it a lot, you still can doubt. And that doesn't mean that you haven't, you're, you're failing or you're not there yet. It's like, it's just the moment to, it's the moment of tension that allows you to keep practicing these concepts that you've spiritually gained, but actually implement them and make them more a part of the human experience. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and like I said, I mean, or like you just said, it's still part of the human experience, mm -hmm. right? So whatever we're, what, you know, whatever 
emotions we have, whatever responses we have, like those are still going to be a part of it. And especially if we've, um, you know, whatever, the way my teacher in India put it, he said, he calls them blocks, right? Well, mm-hmm. A lot of what we call trauma. He said, you're only ever going to be able to wash 20, uh, 75% of them. 25% are always going to be there. Mm-hmm. Right? So no matter how much we heal, there's always going to be these tendencies. So in my case, there's always going to be a tendency towards thinking that I don't have what it takes and that what I'm doing isn't worthwhile, right? Mm. And I'm not actually worthy of these things. But the difference is that then there's more space and capacity to choose not to respond from that place and to not go into the patterns and the habits that I developed as a result of those beliefs. And so, yeah, I have these things all the time. Uh, but they don't control. They don't have the same level of control that they once did. Yeah, it's an excellent way of saying it. Some, one of the things I say to clients sometimes is like, you know, most of us have about four or five patterns we'll be working on our entire life. And they'll come at different levels and different phases. And we'll have different resources and space and tools. But we have, most of us have about four or five of them that keep coming back around. And we're like, oh, here we are again. We're back in that. Got it. And And you're right. It is about not letting them take control it's about having the space to witness them to notice them and to engage in our in what we know works for us to help us choose from an aligned place rather than from that fragmented place that's that exactly we, that we internalized really young it's been really beautiful to hear you share about your perspective and how you support people and so you you articulate it so well and i notice even just my own energy shifts listening to you and imagining some of the things you're talking about, like kind of working through that in my own brain and in, in the way that I look at it. So I really appreciate the way that you've articulated all of this. If there was one piece of advice you wanted to leave men with that were listening to this or any anybody really, because there's lots of people that listen to this podcast. Um, but if you wanted to leave people with any piece of advice or an invitation or something like that, what would that be? Well, it's it's, it's the most critical part of the entire process of creation, right? It's not my own framework, even that I work with people. It's the fundamental energy of creation is love. Mm. And the highest source of that love are other people. When we can learn how to love the highest, how to love that light and love that love that emanates from other people, we open the door directly to God and to the divine through every single person in our life that we're able to do that with. And when we're able to do that, then the energy that flows back to us is what is going to create everything that we are imagining and envisioning in our life, including all the challenges, Mm. including all the challenges that we need in order to grow and reach that vision that we created for ourselves. Beautiful. Yeah, I want I want more people to get that in this world. <laughs> I think it's a, a radical shift in, in kind of what we're noticing out there in the world. And, and that's so aligned with how I, I want to see what I want to see in the world and what I want to bring into the world. So thank you for bringing that piece of advice. If people want to work with you, how might they find you out there in the world? Easiest way is on my website, soulcenteredfounder.com. Uh, and there's a way to book a free discovery call. And I'm open to have a conversation with anybody who feels inspired, even if they're not an entrepreneur and they just feel like they have a calling in this world and it's not quite a panning out or aligning. I'm, I'm very happy to have a conversation with anybody. If you want to get in connection with me, you can go to my website at travisstock.com. You can also find me on Instagram at Trevor03. That's where some of the ongoing conversations of this podcast are happening. So if you have questions or thoughts you want to add to this conversation, please find me there. 
Also, if you want to support the mission of The New Masculine, I'm on Patreon at patreon.com slash The New Masculine. Thank you so much, David, for joining us, for sharing, for helping me with the tension point I find myself kind of uh, puzzling through here as an entrepreneur myself. And so thank you for coming here and thank you for offering the wisdom that you've had. And until our next episode, thanks. <laughs>